Esther chapter 6 is really like none other in the Word of God. This is the most ironic chapter in the Bible. In fact, it is so ironic that it is almost humorous. That which is expected to happen does not, and that which is unexpected does. Up until this point, it seems as though Satan is getting his way. But the winds of change blow in fiercely as great changes take place suddenly and simultaneously in the lives of Mordecai and Haman. In reading our text for this evening, I wish to begin in verse 14 of chapter 5, and then we'll read all of chapter 6. So we'll begin reading in verse 14 of chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Then said, sorry, then said Jeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honour and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the courts? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the courts, And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in. And the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honour? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honour more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honour, Let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear. And the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honour, and bring him on horseback throughout through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighted to honour. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse, and arrayed Mordecai, and brought him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honour. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate. But Haman hastened to his house mourning and having his head covered. And Haman told Jeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Jeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, 
but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlain and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. The title for the sermon this evening is Don't Miss God in the Detail. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you uh, that this meeting can begin again for this year. I do thank you that we can come and gather and offer our prayers and petitions unto you. I do thank you now that we can come around your word. And I thank you for the promise that the Holy Spirit will illuminate the word. And I pray that that would be uh, the case tonight. I pray these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. It has been well said that although the name of God does not occur in the book of Esther, the hand of God is plain to see throughout. And nowhere is this more clearly manifested than in the present chapter before us. This is a chapter full of small events that would get classed as mere chance or potluck. But it is most certainly not either of these things, for with God those things do not exist. These events, even though they are small, are the hand of God at work. Our God often uses small things, such as a boy with five loaves and two fishes, or a certain Pharaoh's daughter who went down to the river for a wash to find a baby who should have been dead. This child would one day lead Israel free. God uses small events. He often works in small ways, and this is the same in our lives. I wonder how many times within our own lives we fail to see God at work in our lives. That He is doing all these small things to accomplish His overall plan in our lives, or using us to accomplish His universal plan. I feel we often miss out on much when we miss God in the little details of our lives. And as we come to our text this evening, I don't want us to miss the hand of God in the small details within this particular narrative. And this will help us to identify God at work in our very own lives. In considering this chapter this evening, we will do so under three simple headings. They've been the night of insomnia, the morning of irony, and the day of indignity. So firstly, let's consider the night of insomnia. The night of insomnia. This is seen in the first three verses of chapter 6. And it would be very easy for you and I to skim over these first three verses and fail to acknowledge God at work in the small details, writing them off as insignificant. Verse 1 begins with, On that night. We must realise the importance and the providential language used in this statement. It could have been any night that the ruler could not sleep, but it was this particular time the night after Esther's first banquet, the night before Haman would come with his wicked request. Just think if he had been awake the following night, it would have been too late for Mordecai. This timing was perfect. Why was it that the king could not sleep? You know, we are not told in the text. But 
perhaps it was because of the pressures of running such a large empire. Maybe he had eaten and drank him too much at the banquet that the queen had hosted, or possibly he was deeply puzzled at what Esther was going to request. You know, we are not certain, but we do know that this is the hand of God watching over his people. And just when you and I may think that time is running out, God intervenes. It is rather intriguing as to what the king requests to help aid with his insomnia. He commands that the book of records of the chronicles of his reign be read. The Persian kings were known for keeping particularly precise records of the events of their particular reigns, especially military campaigns. So this was like some modern day minutes that we take at a meeting, and Xerxes wanted these read. Now consider that just for a moment. This king could have whatever he wants in order to put him back to sleep. Or if he had decided that he was now awake, he could have anything to entertain him. He could have called some of the girls from the harem. He could have asked for the court musicians like Saul when he could not sleep. He could have had anything, yet he asked for the records of his reign to be read. You know, when I thought about this, this would be like Pastor Peter not being able to sleep. So he asked Gertie to read him the business meeting minutes. Imagine that. This is what is going on here. Who would choose that? You know, perhaps God. Now verse 2 reveals to us exactly what was read unto the king. It was the events of when Mordecai saved the king's life. This is recorded in Esther chapter 2. But consider this, what are the chances of this exact event being read? Now surely this cannot be pure chance, can it? They went to the collection of books. This would have been many. Xerxes had been king now for 12 years. And the events that Mordecai was involved in had occurred four to five years beforehand. And it happens to open up on this exact page at this exact time. Time. How can this be so? And it's quite easy. God was in control of this entire situation, even in these small, somewhat insignificant details. Upon having been upon having read to him how Mordecai had saved his life from this murderous plot, the king poses a rather logical question: How was he honoured? What we must understand is that the Persian monarchs prided themselves on providing quick and abundant rewards for distinguished service. This was something they were known for. Yet the servants give a rather surprising response. Nothing had been done. You know, the king would have no doubt been perplexed when he heard this. He would have thought to himself, I always reward those who are noble and loyal, particularly when one has saved my life. How could this be? How has this slipped my attention? Could this have been just a scribal error? Did someone have it in for Mordecai and the reward was not passed on? What could it be? Well, just maybe this was the hand of God. 
God was not ready to reward Mordecai at that particular time. Because if Mordecai had been rewarded beforehand, the events of this critical day before us could not have occurred. God's timing was the best timing, as it always is. So in this chapter, it's rather obvious that God is at work in the small details to accomplish His overriding purpose. The king couldn't sleep on this particular night. He decides to have a book read to him. The right book is chosen. The right story is read. For some reason, the king forgot to reward the man who spared his life. Let's not miss God in the small details of this story or in our own lives. But God had not stopped working yet. Consider secondly the morning of irony. The morning of irony. This is seen in verses 4 through to 10. Upon being informed of the failure to pay due reward for distinguished service, the king, as as is his custom, inquires as to who is in the outside court at this particular time. This request is to no doubt seek some wise counsel as to how to deal with this situation. Now when this request is made, there is one man in the court, and that is Haman. He too had more than likely been up all night. He too had Mordecai on his mind. Now this particular time, I think, is in the morning. For back in at the end of chapter 5, Haman's wife instructs him to go unto the king in the morning. You know, Haman was more than likely aware of the king's daily schedule, deciding that early morning is the best time to make his particular request known unto the monarch. As he is there waiting in the court, he, I think, somewhat unexpectedly gets called into the king. And isn't it amazing that it was Haman and he alone that was present when the king made this request? If Haman had been one hour later... Perhaps another advisor would have been asked, is this chance? I think not. Now upon being commanded by the king, the servants bring Haman unto him. And in verse 6, the king presents Haman with a question. He says, how should I honour the man whom the king delighteth to honour? Now within this question, there is something very significant that is extremely easy to miss. It's interesting that the king uses the term man, not Mordecai. If he had have used Mordecai, how different the answer would have been from Haman. The last phrase of verse 6 reveals the extreme pride and arrogance in the heart of this man Haman. He thought that this honour must be for himself. Who else in this kingdom but he could be deserving of such honour? Now Haman's suggested honour may be a touch surprising. One may expect that he would suggest wealth or position. But we must remember he already had both of these. But he suggested honour highlights his own yearning desire or public adoration. And also this particular suggestion would cause him the ultimate humiliation. This again, I feel, 
is God at work. Now what is suggested as a reward is believed to be one of the highest marks of honour. This being to wear a robe that the king had worn and to ride on the king's horse. Now this horse would be identified with the royal crest, proving that it is the king. Now Haman thought that one of the king's princes should lead this horse through the main streets of Shushan, declaring that this is what the king does to the one who he honours. Xerxes seemed to be rather pleased with this advice. But oh how things were about to change dramatically for Haman. The king instructs this man to do absolutely everything that he had suggested. But this was to be done to Mordecai. Imagine the reaction of Haman at this time. He must have been crushed devastated, horrified. Now what was happening, he must have thought. Now the king left Haman in little doubt as to who this man was. He says, Mordecai, the Jew in the king's gates. This can only be one man. This was the one man who Haman hated passionately. And now he was going to have to lead this man through the city. You know, I'm convinced that God has a sense of humor So Mordecai was going to be the beneficiary of the honour that Haman himself craved so greatly. Could there have been anything that would jolt the pride of this man so greatly? I think not. And these particular events remind me of a biblical principle found in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. There is probably no greater illustration of this particular principle found in the Word of God, is there? No, God was going to crush the pride of Haman. And beloved, we must be warned, God hates pride and He will deal with it. May we this evening take heed to this warning and in God's grace deal with our pride before He has to. Thirdly, this evening, let's consider the day of indignity. The day of indignity. This is seen in verses 11 through to 14. We see here that Haman obeyed the king's commandments. He took the king's apparel and the king's horse and went unto Mordecai. Imagine what must have been running through the mind of both Haman and Mordecai as Haman approached him. Now, Haman must have been furious. I can't believe that this is happening. This is not what was meant to happen today. This was meant to be a wonderful day where my problem would be dealt with once for all, the best day, but now it's the worst. Imagine Mordecai. What in the world is happening? Here comes this man who hates my guts. He wants me dead. And here he comes with the king's garments and the king's horse. What is going on? Now, I wonder what words were exchanged when these two men come face to face. I couldn't imagine Haman being too keen to talk at this particular time. Now, Haman arrayed Mordecai in the king's garments, helped him onto the king's steed, and would lead this man through the streets of the city. 
The same streets that had been where Mordecai had mourned for his people was now the scene where he was honoured by the one who despised him. You know, these words that Haman had to yell out must have been like gravel to his mouth as he walked through the streets. Remembering that the people, they were aware of the animosity between these two men. And now they see this. Haman hated this man and now here he was leading him through on the king's horse. You know, there must have been much mocking and scorning as that Haman experienced at this particular time. Now, having completed the humiliating trek through the city, I want to notice the different reactions of these two men at the completion of this honouring process. Look with me in verse 12. It says, And Mordecai came again to the king's gates. This is rather commendable behaviour, isn't it? Now, this episode that Mordecai had just experienced did not change him. He continued to serve. How easy it would have been for he to get a big head and refuse to do what he had previously done. But applause, honour and recognition doesn't change the truly humble person for their values are far deeper. But how different is the response of Haman, who we are told hastened to his house publicly mourning, possessing a head covering. Now, a head covering was often worn as a sign of mourning when someone had passed away. And this head covering is rather relevant for something had been delivered a death blow, and that was the pride of Haman. And having made this trip home, what a stark contrast between these two family gatherings. Remember the family gathering in in chapter 5. Haman, look how great I am. I am the greatest in the empire. I have just dined with the queen and I'm going there again tomorrow. To this one now, he's mourning, he's blubbering, he's in a mess. And the advice from the wise man and from his wife has also now changed dramatically. Remember before they had advised him to build a gallows, to have Mordecai put to death, to deal with this man once for all. But how different is their advice now? Look what they say in verse 13. If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. It seems as though they did not realise that he was a Jew beforehand. And they inform Haman that since Mordecai is a Jew, you are doomed. What it was that brought about this change of advice, we are not told. Perhaps it was because they were made aware of the ancient prophecy against the Amalekites, which we looked at last year. Or perhaps they were made aware of the Abrahamic covenant. Maybe they were aware of Jewish history, especially especially their recent resurgence under Cyrus. Or maybe it was just because the Persians were an extremely superstitious people. They saw the events that had unfolded that day as bad omens, for what was to come. You know, how they knew what they did, we do not know, but they were correct in their advice. You know, God would take care of His people. He had done and He would 
And in fact, Haman was going to be dealt with a lot sooner than any of them realized. But as to what happens next, we'll wait to next time. But for this evening, I wish to close with two thoughts. So number one, don't miss God in the details. Don't miss God in the details. The entire course of Jewish history was changed because a pagan king far away from Jerusalem could not sleep. This is really a minor detail, something that we would probably term a coincidence. But we must realize that with God, there is no such thing as chance or as a coincidence. No, God is at work in our lives, and He often does this through small things. Now, look at this particular narrative. The king couldn't sleep. For some reason, he wanted this particular book to be read. The right book happens to be chosen. The right pages happen to be read. For some reason, Mordecai was not rewarded. Haman happens to be in the king's court at the right time. Is all of this mere chance? No, of course not. God is in control and he's working all of this together for his universal plan. How wonderful and glorious is the sovereignty of God. That he uses all of this, including wicked men, without violating the free will of man, to bring his plans together. And this is the God that we serve. And he works in the same way in our lives, often using small events, events that we often credit to chance or luck, is not chance at all. It is God at work, working His plan for our lives as individuals and to accomplish His universal plan. You know, I fear that we often fail to realize how much God is actually involved in our lives And it's this that I want us to remember and take home this evening. God's hand is at work in your life and in my life, even at times in the insignificant details. Now, when we have that near miss in the car, that is the hand of God. When we happen to be in the right place at the right time, that is the hand of God. There's no such thing as luck or chance. God is in control in all situations. Consider your life right now. Ponder all the small things and don't write them off as small, insignificant or chance events, but remember them as the hand of God. Beloved, don't miss the small details that God is at work in your life. Now, how much greater will our love be for our God if we truly realize all that He is doing within our lives? And number two, if God be for us, who can be against us? In verse 13, powerful words are declared that since Mordecai is a Jew, That means Haman won't be able to touch him, but he himself will fall. Now, why is that? That is because of God. God had made promises to Israel that he would protect them and keep them, and that he did, as he still is today. 
And although we are not Jews, God has also promised that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No, beloved, God is on our side. He has promised to build His church. And just like nothing or no one could stop Israel, so nothing will stop the church. No individual, no organization, no government will stop the church being built. You know, isn't that a blessing? That Romans 8.31 is so true. If God before us, who can be against us? Now, don't be discouraged. God is on our side. And it doesn't matter how wicked and depraved this world may get, we cannot lose. Now, how comforting it is to know that the almighty, all-powerful God, the creator of the universe, is on our side and He is at work in your life daily. Amen. Let's pray.